Welcome to Going in Circles. There's no intro today because today is an unscheduled podcast. It's unscheduled because I hadn't planned on the industry being as disgraceful as it's been this week. And that's the word that comes to mind. Uh, That's the word I've heard quite a few times in the last uh, 24 hours. Disgraceful. Disgraceful. I'm doing a podcast today because, I'll be frank, the people I talk to usually off the record, small circle of friends, I figured instead of just bugging them, well, hell, I'll tell everybody. And I don't care what you think of me. I don't care if you like me or you don't like me. I don't care. But I care about racing. And I've been doing this, I've been involved since I was 15 years old. And, and really before that. My dad used to bring me to track when, as soon as I could walk. So this is something that's been going on in my life, my entire, my, literally my entire life. I'm not that young. I'm not like Barkley Taggold, but I'm not that young. But this week, I mean, it's like the triple crown of industry dysfunction. We start the week off by finding out that, well, at least publicly acknowledged, that Monmouth has only been able to pay off one day's purses because the state of New Jersey Racing Commission, uh, in their infinite wisdom, is contracted with Truesdale Laboratories in California, which is a laboratory that I don't believe is accredited currently, and has had multiple issues with multiple jurisdictions multiple times. And I guess they just haven't got the test done. And the people of New Jersey, of Monmouth have been unable to get purse money. We're talking millions of dollars. We're talking the effects of which trickle down to everyone at the track, including hot walkers and grooms and exercise riders and blacksmiths and veterinarians and therapists and uh, just about any feed men and, and, and anyone with any connection to the track. Uh, during a pandemic, generally, the turnaround is, is much quicker than, you know, two months. But interestingly enough, that is just a mere footnote in our week-long dysfunction. And let me just say this. The Going in Circles podcast does not currently employ legal counsel So we shall be uh, tempered in some of our our statements. But some of the things that have happened, like, guess what? We found out this week, um, at least everyone's found out now. If you followed Craig from Timeform USA on Twitter, you would have known for quite a while now that often the times that are posted for our races are inaccurate 
not just uh, the final time, but the fractions as well, sometimes wildly inaccurate. This week, though, when challenged, the people who are responsible for the official record-keeping of the sport, Equibase, they came out in a manner which seemed to say that they didn't think it was that big of a deal to mistime hundreds or maybe thousands of races. I know they didn't actually say, hey, it's not a big deal, but they kind of said, hey, it's, it's kind of not a big deal. And we stand by our product, even though your product doesn't work correctly. And it was... It was eye-opening in that they, the statements that were made by the Equibase officials were basically like, piss off. We're doing what we want to do. This is going to be better for you in the end, which is something we hear a lot in racing. We hear a lot of, hey, this is all, in the end, it's going to work out good for you. And guess what? It never does. It only winds up being good for a couple people. You're destroyed this game with this attitude. The record keeper, the official record keeper, essentially is saying that timing of the races isn't, the accuracy isn't entirely that important. Could you imagine tonight in the NBA playoffs if, if a guy's foot was on the line when he shot a three-pointer and two or three times and they gave him the three anyways and said, well... The margin of victory was eight points, and it only happened three times, so, eh, what's the big deal? It was close enough. People would, people would freak out. They would, they would lose their mind. They would, be, they would be thrashed nationwide. There would be outrage from people who believe in the purity of sport, even in, a, in an era where purity of sport is... rarely considered but we're talking about timing horses running from a set spot to a set finish passing set poles it's 2020 and we can't get that done and I know you know we got this new technology and GPS and Blah, 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 blah. But why not just keep testing it till it's right? Oh, well, you know, uh, these pesky figure makers. Yes, these pesky figure makers whose customers are supporting our industry with their betting dollars. Those, those, those people. Not a big deal, right? But listen, industry organizations being a little bit out of touch, eh, we're used to that. We're used to that. Laboratories not doing their jobs properly. Most people don't know it, but you know, it happens. More than you know, but it does happen. But yesterday, 
And today, you just can't get, it just doesn't get worse. And now everybody's going to be talking about, oh boy, no fans at the Derby. Who cares? Who cares? I mean, are we sure the time's going to be right anyways? And hey, handles up. We talk about the things that don't matter. So much. Triple crown winners. I, I laugh. I used to think that people were nuts when they said, this game needs a triple crown winner. So, well, it wouldn't be bad, and it would bring some publicity and be a couple great days, and sh- surely the Belmont would be quite a scene. And, you know, the, the one or two races afterwards uh, would, would be nice for the business, get some exposure, but I don't see how it's going to help... Um, Hawthorne. I don't see how it's going to help Indiana Grand. I don't see how it's going to help Tampa Bay Downs. I don't see how it's going to help uh, any of those tracks other than maybe, you know, providing a, a nice simulcasting day. And here we are, two Triple Crowns later. One, one is tainted by the owner's massive liquidity financial issues and the horses turned out to be a terrific sire too he's really he's really a really good horse American Pharaoh was, was a very very good horse and then there's Justify who post Derby had some uh, an interesting Timeline where we weren't sure if he was sold or he was sold or he wasn't sold, and then he won the Preakness, and we weren't sure if he was sold or he wasn't sold. Then he won the Belmont, and then he was home and he was help, and he he, he couldn't w- work anymore. Then he could work, then he had an ankle injury, then he didn't. Then he was retired, and oh boy. And then you know, last year we get the word uh, that uh, you know he had failed the drug test, and it was covered up. And let me say that I don't think that the drug test that he failed was a situation where he was given the, the drug. It doesn't, wouldn't make any sense. It's baffling, and, and there certainly is a logical explanation, but the fact it was handled so poorly kind of... It kind of taints the whole, the whole triple crown. And the first, for the first time, we have a, a sort of a tainted triple crown winner. So, but honestly, in the end, it's not that big of a deal because the fact of the matter, the big deal is our races every day that we run, that people bet on, that people own, those are the really big ones, not the, the few that, that stick out. Yes, those are, Breeders' Cup's great, Triple Crown's great, the Florida Derby's great, the, uh, the Dubai World Cup, all those, they're, they're all nice, it's great, it's, it's, it's a showcase, it's top of the top. But if we don't have strong day-to-day racing, it'll all collapse. It'll all collapse. And when you see things that happen like yesterday, where it comes out, where the Pollock Report more or less verifies to the whispers that have been going around for quite a while about the operation of people behind the scenes who shouldn't be involved with horse racing in any shape, way, shape, or form. 
None. Zero. Nada. They shouldn't even... Hell, they shouldn't even let him watch. A guy's under federal indictment might be running a stable. Moving Ocala. What do you think he's moving Ocala for? For their art district? For the cuisine? I'm not going to tell a guy he can't make a, make a living doing something. You're presumed innocent in this country until until you're found guilty. But the terms of the person's arrest stated that he was not to have anything to do with racehorses. And clearly there's plenty of evidence, circumstantial or not, that he is. And the smart thing to do, and again, I don't have a lawyer telling me oh we can do this we can't do this we can do this we can't do this but i know that other places have done things and what needs to be done everywhere is that when you associate with people that are banned or restricted you should get the same sentence as they get and when owners knowingly Knowingly, and this happens a lot. Not just this isn't like this happened this week. It just was exposed this week. And then there's layers to it that just are disheartening. They're disheartening to people who knew about it, who know the crap that's going on behind the scenes that no one's ever found out about. Stuff that we know that we don't say. To think. That a guy like Marcus Vitale is infecting the sport once again and bringing down others with him, others that are silly enough to associate with him. He goes to dinner with guys that are involved in racing. You guys know who you are? You know who you are? You're willing to take your picture with him? Guess what? If I was running a track... You'd be out too. Period. Integrity. It's like a, a it's like a joke. Perception is reality in this sport. And guess what, guys? The perception is destroyed. We have bets, jackpot bets, terrible to the everyday gambler, terrible. They're being hit with these wild combinations from these faceless, nameless, offshore or whatever, um, batch player, whatever, computer player, whatever you want to call them. But these aren't people who learned the game sitting in a handicapping seminar. These aren't people that, that sit there and, and go over replays. These aren't people who who, who are like Everyone else who's ever picked up a form and, and, and made a bet and, and got was captured with the, the math and, and with the challenge and the handicapping and all the different variables. And it looks bad. And some of the theories that are out there are just 
they're just not true. They're too far-fetched. And you're giving credit to people for being these genius supervillains that they're just not qualified to be. But it looks bad. It looks bad. And when you start to think, we, we get told about handle a lot. Handle this, handle that, handle this. And to be honest, it's almost all deceptive because if I go and bet $10 at a track, if a track ever opens up again, since I heard Churchill's closed for the Derby, and oh my God, we got to talk about that for the next week. Who cares? Who gives a shit? What difference does it make? Who was really going there anyways this year? But if you make a bet at a track, your handle means a whole lot more than if you're making a bet in a lot of other places. So when they give you that number, that gross, hey, $20 million was bet today, $5 million was bet today, $3 million was bet today, there's some context to it. And we don't know what the context is. And when people start to feel like they're suckers more and more and more and more, they leave, they walk away. And it's hard to measure those who walked away, except for the people that were taking their bets. And they're not going to say. And I'm not saying if I wasn't a racetrack executive, I might do the same thing. I might bring batch players in. I might say, you know what? I want to try to strengthen my numbers and make myself look good. Because in the end, a racetrack executive's first responsibility is to himself to keep himself employed. Everybody wants people to stand on the, on, on the, on the top of that mountain and, 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 and charge. But those are usually people who, whose livelihoods aren't going to be negatively affected by that charge. And that's not an excuse, it's just a reality. It's just a reality. But when we have beard trainers that everybody knows is going on for a long time, and the fact of the matter is, most of the time it was overlooked because most beard trainers are guys that somehow or another are able to acquire workman's comp insurance, and they just live on the edges. It's like, you remember the old uh, 10 percenter guys? They, they When you cashed a ticket, you hit a triple or a pick three or something, and it was an IRS ticket, and you had these guys that you would give 10%, and, and they would cash it for you so it wouldn't go on your tax records. I know, it's kind of tax evasion, but hey, it happened for a long time. Um, <laughs> those, um, that, that, that's what a lot of beard trainers are. They're, they're, just, they're just getting a little piece of the action by letting them use your name. And everything's fine until the horse comes back positive. And the fact of the matter is, if you're a person that has a small, small, small stable and isn't able to get workman's comp or can't afford it, your horses generally aren't any good and you're usually racing in lowest level races and they're usually not running all that great. So everyone just kind of looks the other way because no one really cares. But then you get guys that are barred 
Not guys that can't afford it. Not guys that don't have good horses. Not guys that don't win. Not guys that have, have question marks all over them and their reputation. You get these guys, and you get Beards for them. Well, now you're talking a different story cause, because these guys are winning. These people, they, they pop up, and all of a sudden they just start winning. And a lot of times, like Vitaly, they had the same owners. It's the same owners. You could, you could do a search on Echo Base and in five minutes figure it out. You don't need the FBI to figure this out. Time and time and time again. And, and Marcus Vitali has done things much worse than what he's being accused of here. There's an issue with him and x-rays of a horse and, and something that was known prior to the race. Yet the horse was still ran and was claimed. And he laughed about it. It's just the... It's worse than you know. Think about the reason he just did a year suspension. And a year was light with a person with his record. As many transgressions, as many dead horses, as many positive tests, as many lies he's told. Evading investigators with a substance that was stored in a groom's room, of course, putting someone else at risk. And then, kind of the, the sales topper here, to have Wayne Potts in cahoots with Vitaly get ruled off virtually everywhere in the Mid-Atlantic yesterday. To have him win the first race at Saratoga today with a horse that many are calling into question over his legitimate trainer, considering that the owner of the horse has a trainer's license and actually ran the horse in June at Belmont in his own name. Having that horse win and having that horse be named Our Destiny, I mean, it just drips with irony. You just can't make this up. You just can't make this up. If you work for Naira, you're probably like, shut up, Chuck. What could we do? I don't know. I know one thing. I'd have scratched the horse and then worried about it later. You know what doesn't hurt? Doesn't hurt. Look like you give a shit about integrity. Especially after you had a horse break down in a four-horse race yesterday when your in-house analyst said the horse looked bad warming up. But there's so many, there's so many shitstorms a, a day now that things get lost. And I'm sure, like I said, everything will get lost today because the stupid derby has no people. Even though there's going to be like a revolution uh, on derby day in Louisville when... No one seems to have any cognizant plan of how they were going to spread those 20,000 people out. But that's our industry. 
We focus on nonsense, on, on top 10 polls. Leading trainer, leading jockey. Who cares? Who cares? If other sports were as, as predictable as our sport, no one would ever watch them. Four horse fields, five horse fields, on the turf, stake races, COVID issues are getting the blame, but so much of this existed before COVID. And I know sometimes there's things that just can't be stopped. There's things that happen that just happen through no fault of anyone's. And there's still going to be point fingers pointed because that's just the way our society works these days. But this business is not going to survive in this country. It's not going to survive. Because right now, the product is garbage. And you have people who bet significant amounts of money who aren't batch players, who actually handicap races. And they feel... Like they're getting ripped off when their horse leaves the gate at 7 to 2 and crosses the wire at 9 to 5. The winners feel ripped off. When we have to question the time of the race, the price of the race, the, the pools, the trainer, did the jockey conspire with his brother or cousin or nephew or other agent's jockey? When you have races where three or four trainers have virtually all the nominations, where owners are all in cahoots with each other, where everybody owns a leg of somebody else's horse, yet there's no coupled entries. Like, how long is this sport going to make it uh, like this? How long? I've said a long time ago. Super trainers are bad. They're bad for the business. They're only good for themselves. They're really not even that great for owners, other than the fact that they can get races to go anytime they want. Let's call it spade a spade. It's the truth. And a lot of times, the racing secretary's in a position where the, the trainer's got more power than him. This isn't the days of Kenny No. But how long? How much longer? Can this sport survive? Think about this week. We don't know who actually trains some of these horses. We don't know if the time of the race is actually right. <laughs> we don't know if we're going to get paid. We don't know when we're going to get paid from the purse. We don't know if the guy's horse lined up in, in the stall next to us is trained by a guy who, who, might, be, who might have his phone tapped again. We don't know any of these things. We don't know what 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 our our winner's gonna pay until he crosses the until it hits official. Shit. We used to have a lot of givens when they left the gate and your horse was three to one. It was a given that the race was gonna be timed properly, and the horse that left the gate at three to one was gonna be three to one when he crossed the wire. We were pretty sure when the horse won that the trainer listed 
actually trained the horse. We were pretty sure that when we went to the horse's bookkeeper a few days later, a week later, that our money would be available. We're pretty sure that if you hit the pick six, that you actually hit the pick six. Nowadays, these aren't givens anymore. We have circuits where where there's there's so many different there's so many new trainers popping up so fast you can't keep track of them all there's so many issues we don't know what a foul is in a race one day a bump comes down the next day the same bump stays up we don't need politicians to fix these issues we need people with power to come to the table and figure it out. I, for the life of me, can't figure out why a racetrack management wouldn't say, hey, let's make integrity number one on our marketing list. Number one, real integrity, not bullshit integrity that we get now. Real integrity. Start you know what? Let them sue you. Line them up. You'll get more public support. If, if, if the Vitalis of the world sue you, what would be better marketing than that? You couldn't buy that kind of marketing. Even Run Happy wouldn't, wouldn't pay that much marketing to, to be sued by, by, by George Navarro or, or Marcus Vitali or some other person that's been barred. It shouldn't be involved any longer. That's had more than three strikes. Suing? <laughs> That's like proof you're doing the right thing. I just don't know. I know this. If I was 19 or 20 years old and I knew what I knew right now, there's no chance that I would stay involved in this business. I would have changed my major to something else. I don't know what. But the long-term viability of this sport, when Churchill Downs, let's call it what it is, they only care about the big races, they only care about areas where they can get other forms of revenue. I get it. I'm a big boy. I'm not going to cry. They're a publicly traded company. They're, they're a corporation. I get it. But they're a big stakeholder. How confident are you that the Strana Group in California, just California, not even talking about uh, their other properties, just California, how, how at some point they might just call quits and say, you know what? The government seems to be against us. The California Racing Board seems to be against us. The animal rights people are against us. It's impossible. It's going to grow harder and harder and harder to do business out there. Maybe they just said, you know what? We had enough. They surrender. Not not saying anyone's a good person, bad person. I'm just saying, hey, look at it from a business standpoint. I mean, would it be, like, shocking? Maybe. 
Would it be shocking if the governor of Pennsylvania, who came after the majority of the slot revenue that's given to racing, not, not a penny that goes to the racetracks, but to the horsemen and the breeders, would we be surprised? I mean, you have to expect that to happen, right? He came after the majority of that money when the economy was booming. Now the economy's not booming. States are hurting for money. So, the fact that places like Parks and Penn National, to a lesser degree, never bothered to try to get reasonable takeout levels so that they could increase handle, so that we could be self-sufficient, a little more self-sufficient. And I understand if I'm a trainer there and they've paid for your health care for over a decade and the retirement and all the good things that they, they've, they've done, that's great. But what if the track's not there in three, four more years? Then what? Because when 90% of your purse money comes from sources other than your own business, you are beholden to them. And the laws can change. The laws can always change. Just think of some of the laws we've had in this country that are gone. Horse racing? We're not high on the list of priorities in state governments. I don't know. You tell me. You tell me I'm crazy, right? I shouldn't be so negative. Tony Black called me negative the other day. I said, Tony, I'm not negative. It's called real. Realistic. Sometimes the reality of situations is very negative. I don't know how much longer these tracks up in the Northeast that depend on slots for purses are going to make it until these casinos are open. I don't want to talk politics, but there's been Indian casinos open in New York and Connecticut since June. And yet the casinos in New York, they're all closed still. The governor hasn't decreed them be open. And the longer they stay closed, the drier the purse accounts run. Aqueduct's schedule for the fall was released. December 6th, I believe, was the last day scheduled. I mean, it's possible that December 6th is the last day of racing in, in New York for a while. How much longer is Parks going to be able to maintain without casino money coming in? I just don't know. And I don't have any confidence. I'm sorry. I, I just have no confidence in any organization in this business anymore. The only company that does any long-term planning that's actually effective is Churchill Downs, and the only effectiveness is to close things up. California's a mess. The Northeast is a mess. Chicago's a mess. Boston's gone. Colonial had to cut short their meat. They're in five days. 
They're gone until next year. I don't have any faith anymore. Paul Matty's professional gambler, horse player, 30 years, was on my podcast on Tuesday. And Paul, to his credit, is, is optimistic. And he still he loves the game. And he still has hope. And here we are three days later, and I just don't see hope because I don't think that the people in this business have the temerity to do what needs to be done, to draw lines in the sand and stick by them, to stop ignoring the issues, to stop making up bullshit excuses, because that's what a lot of it is, bullshit. Crybaby bullshit. Sal Sinatra took a stand. Shouldn't be the first one. Should have been done a long time ago. But he did it. A lot of other stands need to be taken. You lose people like me. I'm a nobody. I'm not rich. Even when I trained. I just trained, you know, ordinary horses. But guys like me, I know quit. I've been doing this for a long, 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 long time. And there's lots of guys, there's lots of guys like me. And none of us, none of us, none of us have any confidence in the leadership of this business starting from the top. And why would we? We've been called all kinds of names. People who who bet big money in races that aren't part of syndicates. They've been crapped on forever. Everybody thinks like... Like, horsemen have it so great, you know, the track. The tracks don't like us. Less and less and less and less. Not everybody. Some track management is, is fine. Some is, you know, kind of don't care. I know that's kind of casting a, a wide net. But there's a huge gulf on every backside that I know of. The haves and the have-nots have gotten... The, the, the divide has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And you may not like it, but... You need the middle trainers. You need the middle-class guys. You need the guys with 15 to 25 horses. Because those guys need to run. They run. Their business depends on running. The big guys, they just run when they feel like it. They're charging more money than us. They have better horses than us. They're running in higher purse races than us. They get the races to go when they need to go. They get whatever they need, basically. But everybody can't be the Yankees. Every team can't have LeBron James. You still got to play the games. You need competition. Our races are crappy most times. Most days. It ain't COVID. It's us. It's owners. It's trainers. It's racetrack executives. It's regulators. It's the people on TV. The constant cheerleading. Some of these guys are supposed to win 25%. Why wouldn't they win 25%? Ridiculous. I have a guest 
And he has nothing to do with anything I said, except the fact that he wants to talk, and he's sick of it, and he's only 20 years old. I'll be back with Nick Vecariza. All right. We are back with Nicholas Vecariza. Nick is pretty well known in, in this business for a guy that's only 20 years old. And he is an owner, and he's worked for various trainers, including his father. And um, Nick is very outspoken, and he loves the sport. And I told him that um, sometimes in this sport, speaking out doesn't exactly put you in the best light because people are very sensitive which is a problem, which is a, an issue, but nonetheless, it is what it is. But Nick is, is feels very strongly about it, and uh, he wants to make his career in this business, and he has a lot to say. So let's welcome Nick Vecareza. Hey, Chuck, thanks for having me on. Nick, we've talked about this a lot, you and I, and... You're only, you know, you're still, you're a young guy, and you've kind of, kind of been, you know, uh, immersed in this business pretty much your whole life. But um, you have some, some really, some, some takes, some mature takes, and you see things from a different, um, a different prism that that most of us do. In that you're a, a young guy, and and you live in a world full of technology and you guys your generation kind of sees things differently than ours and I think that it's important that people listen to what you have to say and what your generation has to say because you guys are really the future of this business and so many things have have happened negatively in society in general not to mention the racing game it, it's it's tough. Um, it's got to be tough for you. Yeah. Um, considering I was watching horse racing before I could even talk. I mean, my dad set up my crib in front of his in front of TVG in front of his uh, desk. Um, so I've been in, a part of this game for a long time. You know, he's owned horses ever since I remember. I go to the tracks with him. And I was highly involved with his own horses. I've been working on the backstretch for about half of my life, walking horses, grooming horses, ponying. I mean, you've seen it all, Chuck. And when I was 18, Chad Brown gave me the opportunity to work as a foreman for him. And I've been working for Chad in between going to college for the last three years. Now... I'm a sophomore in college, right? With everything going on in the sport, do I guide my career, my life, my 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 passion? My passion is this sport. It has no monetary aspect to it at all. I've loved the animal since I can remember. I have pictures of me as a baby. My favorite animal was a horse my whole life. The problem with it now is people are greedy and they're cheating. They found a a thing that they can make money with and they're cheating to make money. And they're getting away with it 
and we keep just slapping the, slapping them on the wrist, and they're just going to keep coming back and doing it again. So until something changes, nothing's going to happen. The racetracks let it happen. Uh, the owners even let it happen. The owners actually send their horses to the trainers that they know are are high percentage winning trainers. So, you know, the ones indicted, they're cheating, they're making the most money, they're winning. They have the edge that not all the trainers have. Now, the thing with social media and how the things in life has changed is not everyone has grown up in the world of social media. Everyone's voice now can be heard. So lately with everything going on, I said to myself, I cannot sit here and be a hush puppy anymore. I, I have my life ahead of me. Do I want to be a horse trainer still? Will horse racing still be around in 30, 40 years. I'm 20 years old. Most guys training horses are, let's say, 40 to 55. Will it be around for the next 35 years? It can be if we steer it in the right direction. But I think right now we're coming to a fork in the road. And if we don't sit, fix the boat, it's going to sink. I, th I think that's that's... That's a hundred percent, Nick. I mean, you're you're wise beyond your your uh, your your age, and you and I have talked about it and uh, about the future and how murky it is, and how I, I was just kind of on a little bit of a rant saying that why should we believe in the leadership of this sport because they continuously let us down and. They continuously slap guys on the wrist. They continuously ignore issues. And it's not just uh, trainers. I mean, you know, like I said, Equibase this week defended putting times of races that weren't accurate. I mean, you're the official record keeper of the business. You have to have accurate records. And if the records are not accurate, well, then your, your only comment should be, we are doing everything in our power to make this right. And that's not what we get. That's never what we get. See, the people who run the game are racetracks, privately owned, and the state. So what do racetrack owners want? It's a business, so they want the most money they can get. So they might not expose all these cheaters and cheating that's going on on the racetracks because, hey, this guy's entering six horses a week, ten horses a week. He's filling the entry box. So they're going to let it happen and turn their back on it because they have no, well, until now being exposed, they have, you know, oh, if, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, let it happen. And I'm watching a, a Gulfstream Park on the TV right now, and I want to change it because all the corruption going down in Gulfstream is despicable. And things need to change. You know, it's funny because the idea that they need these guys to fill entries is, is just 
It's just the wrong way of thinking because the fact is they chase away way more entries than they make. I they left do. I left Monmouth Park because me and my owners were sick of running against guys we knew we, we couldn't beat. We knew it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I would get in a race and we couldn't win. And listen, it's not like I ran all favorites, but you knew you, you should have a legitimate shot of, of, of doing well in a race. And you're, yeah. you're in against one or two guys who you know you can't beat and you can't claim their horse because you know what happens when you claim their horse. And and so, you know, what we did, we yeah. left. Well, what we happens left. when you, let's, let's expose every little thing. What happens when you claim one of their horses, they don't have the edge that they had from that trainer and they bounce. But yeah, continue. No, it, it, that, that's the, and that's the thing. It's a very powerful thing to, to be able to, to run your horses two classes below where they actually belong and not fear being claimed. Uh, you know, I've said this a long time. It's hard to win races, but it's easy to win races when you can run $25,000 horses for, for 7500 It makes it much easier. And when there's no um, deterrent, when the racing offices encourage, don't discourage, and when they know that um, guys are afraid to claim off of them, then it, then you wind up in these situations where you have $7,500 claiming races with five horses, and no one wants to bet those. So when people stop betting, the lifeblood of this sport is, is the people betting on the races. And they're screaming, they're screaming on social media, fix it. But the fixes are always kind of... They're, they're, they're weak. Well, look at the fix that they did. I love how the FBI, you know, took care of all this indictment and all that. But they relocated uh, one of the said guys that were indicted. They relocated him to Ocala, Florida. So what's he going to do? He's going to go find a training center, have his horses, his stable there. Owners are going to know that. They're going to send the horses there. And they're going to ship and run the Gulf Stream, Tampa, you know, the whole spiel, Chuck. Of course. And that and that's, I, I said this earlier, you didn't have the, the luxury of hearing what I said, but what I said is that if you are in contact, if you're involved with someone who's suspended for a significant amount of time or banned or under indictment, you should get the same treatment as they do, that you well, have yeah, to draw an, the line. Accomplice. You're an accomplice. You're an accomplice, and and that's the and thing. And I feel like the owners, the owners should be held responsible as well. I mean, they're they're basically racketeering. They're funding it. They're funding illegal organized crime. In and the, the thing in, is, in the end, Nick, the the fact is that we can't depend on the FBI to to bust guys. No, we guys. can't. We can't. And and people really, that, you know what? And, and you know what? I think that it, it has to be said that. These guys haven't weren't arrested for fixing races. They were yeah. they were charged with misbranding. That's that that has that that's kind of a mis, misbranding is kind of a legal term that doesn't it's not exactly what it sounds like, but it's not like this was um done because these, you know, the FBI's got some desire to 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 fix horse racing. No. It, it's illegal acts. There's lots of money involved. It's it's across state lines. It's it's in in some cases international. So of course they're going to be involved. But 
Uh, I, I'm not all that confident that there's going to be a whole rash of more arrests. I, I've, you know, we've heard that kind of line of talk before, and sometimes that's just kind of like fear striking. But we can't depend on the FBI to 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 fix our sport, and we sure can't depend on the FBI the, to to fix our sport if guys who are under indictment currently are still participating in some fashion, even though it's been stated by the the Justice Department that they're not to participate. It's just it, that, that that is just like, I mean, we can't keep if we can't keep indicted guys out from seeping back in, then then There's who no can we catch? Justice system, they'll just keep running back. And and that's the thing is that I know I talk to a lot of trainers, I talk to a lot of owners, and to a man. <laughs> or, or woman in, in some cases people are all sick of it and they're looking for someone to do something and yet the response is always so weak and like I, I, I mean think about Rick Dutro is doing 10 years for something he probably should have got 6 months for and these guys um, who've got you know Vitaly's been thrown out of tracks and suspended for, for long periods of time multiple times multiple times and yet they're still getting involved and people in the sport already are willing to help them and that's that's what really gets me and that's to me those are the people that should be um should have some um they should have some sort of penalty against them as well they shouldn't be able to just walk away well i mean chuck if me and you commit a crime I didn't pull the trigger, but you did. I'm an accomplice. That's the same thing goes for for what we're talking about. There, this is an organized crime that's going on. Not only the bar trainers should get into more trouble than they already do. They're just a little slap on the wrist. The the ghost trainer should get in trouble. The assistant trainer should not be able to get his badge again, and the owner should be should be in trouble as well because at this point it's it's rico it's racketeering you're you're funding organized crime and i think a governing body over the sport can fix a lot of these issues that we're having yeah but that's never gonna happen it's never gonna happen because racing is ran by state well, it's, it's, it's never going to happen tracks. currently because our, our, our federal government is in complete disarray and they can't pass any bills, anything. So, But let me ask you a question, kind of not changing the topic but changing the focus. Like how do guys in your age, you know, guys, uh, uh, younger guys, guys in their late teens, early 20s, what's, what's a, a regular guy's, uh, not, not a guy born into the business, but what is their view of racing? Um, a lot of guys my age are betting on a lot of stuff now. You know, they like betting on basketball. They like betting on on college football, football, you know, sports betting. And horse racing is another sport. I mean, they will bet on this sport. It's enjoyable to watch. It's fast-paced. You bet on a race in two minutes, you're going to know if you lost your money or you won your money. And the next time you can bet is in 30 minutes. So people do enjoy. I, I got a few of my buddies betting. Uh, I was at his, uh, a friend of mine's house, and we were all betting Saratoga. People like the game, but 
I just think it's it's marketed and targeted poorly. Um, America's Best Racing is doing a really good job at trying to speed things up, but I feel like some things like the racetracks could do differently could help out the sport. Say I had, I could grab 10 friends and say, hey, let's go to the track, right? When you go to the track, first things first, you got to valet your car or park it. You got to pay for general admission or your seating. You got to pay for your program. You got to pay for lunch. You got to pay for drinks. You have to pay up front before any money is bet, basically $100, right? To even get into the track, have an enjoyable day at the track, and enjoy yourself at the track. So betting is a thing. If you don't win, you're going to lose. So let's say... I go to the track. Um, I, I have no affiliation with the track. I'm going to the track with my buddies. I'm already down basically $60, $70 to get in, eat, seating, all that. Then I got to put up another 200 to bet. Well, if I don't make money, I'm down almost $300 on the day. So a lot of things, I'm on DRF right now. You have to pay for, for PPs, uh a lot of things accessibility wise everyone's trying to nickel and dime you and that's not the th- not the way to run a business i i agree completely i think that i i i've always had an issue with equibase i i think that we should be offering a basic pp pro- program for complimentary should be free and then yeah, as, as it as you get up and, and you have higher levels of course you pay it's like parking parking should be free and then when you have uh parking up close uh, preferred parking is a, is a is a upcharge and valets an upcharge on that and i just think that you know equibase is owned by the jockey club and by the racetracks like this is the, this is our business why, why can't they all chip in to, to get the information out there. And I know a lot of guys have tried to buy, um, uh, you know, Equibase owns all the data. They've tried to buy data to try to make programs for themselves to try to come up with their own kind of PPs and this and that. And the data is so expensive that they give up. They don't, they don't even try. It's, it's, it's trying to keep a monopoly more or less. And, that's that's not how business works these days, um, you know. You, you have there's just a. I, I personally I, I have a problem with the way, um, with the way that we we kind of downplay betters like, almost like they're too dumb. Like I I remember something something a couple weeks ago it was on a web web page or something, and they were talking about what what's a good bet for beginners, and the guy said show betting. I'm thinking show betting. Any person that, that has the propensity to become a professional, or not a professional, but a, a regular player that's, that's sharp enough guy, that, that's good enough with numbers, that, that likes the action, he's not going to want to bet the show. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's going he's to bet $20 a show on a horse and get back 22 Like, that, that's not, people don't get, you don't get caught up well, by, by making two bucks. Say, yeah. 
Right. Like but that, that, that's not people. People, if they're smart enough, they can understand win. They can understand an exact. Okay, if this horse finishes first and this horse finishes second, then you get paid. Okay. I mean, you don't have to be Einstein to figure out exactas and 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 daily doubles and no, things no. like that. People, uh, other sports betting is is more complicated is. Than, than horse wagering. I mean, you know, you got the under over minus one fifty. You know, all that live line. Yeah, well, that, in, in the in-game betting where, you know... The thing is, every single one of my friends that I got betting, I had to give them the bet because they said, how do you how do you know what to bet? If I had, if I, I, I you know, I don't have a form on me everywhere I go, but if I could have told them, hey, you got your laptop, open up Equibase. Right. This is, uh, this is, show them the basic past performances it doesn't have to be lifetime. You can show the guy for free last three, four, five starts. If it's a maiden, it's a maiden. I mean, a first-time starter. And uh, you need to break the ice on some of these guys. Okay, uh, my friend, he's looking at the past performances. I'm teaching him. He's making his own bets. He's winning his own money. That's how you're going to get him involved, not... You know, on Equibase number five, Uncle Mo trained by Todd Fletcher. Well, what are you gonna? What do you? You know, you don't have any statistical matter. Not everyone follows the sport enough where they could just base a ticket off of the the basic entries. We um, there was a guy named Steve Sexton. He was the president of Churchill Downs years ago, and he Steve was a pretty good guy. And, uh, one year, Churchill was producing their own programs uh, on in-house, and they cut back. They, the HBPA used to get um, like 50 programs a day comp, um, and they would give them out to trainers. And they cut back on the number. And we asked Steve Sexton, me and another trainer were at the, at the rail one day, and it was late. It was, it was during turf training, so it wasn't many people out there. And said, hey, you know, what's the deal with the programs? Why did you guys cut them back? I mean, you know what he said? He goes, well, you know, a lot of those programs are making their hand, their way into the hands of, of non-trainers, you know, the grooms and, and, and hot walkers. Uh, we, we see them with them. And the other guy said to them, Steve, what do you think those guys are going to do if they get a free program? They're going to look at it, and they're going to go make a bet with it. He goes, what's it cost you, 20 cents to make one? He goes, I can guarantee you every guy that gets a program is going to make at least a $2 bet. You're, you're going to get your money back plus then. I go, nobody the, look, the on the backside is, looks at a racing form is, and doesn't make a bet. With programs, there's cost. You know, paper, manufacturing, processing, publishing, oh. all that. If, if there was something... Well, there is. They, they were, and, 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 he he told us, Nick, he told us they, they cost about uh, 15 to 20 cents a, a, a each. So they were literally putting out like $12 a day worth of programs. Well, so no, I'm telling, it, it, I'm was, telling. it was like, you know, and he's like, you know, I never thought about it like that. It's like, yeah, if you give these people, if you give people in racing a program and you give them something to look at, they're probably going to find something to bet on. But Chuck, things, technology is advancing. People aren't going to want to carry around the paper program. Paper, paper is going out the door. Paper's, no, but the, but the point is that the, the access, 
is access to the information. You give a guy no, free, no, give a guy free no, information, I'm, he's going to make a bet. I'm telling you a resolution to this. When you walk into the Kentucky Derby next year, there are no programs. You got your iPhone? Great. QR scan this, and you get a digital download of today's racing form. And you're right. What I remember when the daily racing form was like five dollars. Now it's like twelve, thirteen dollars, depending on the day. I might be I might be inflating that number. I don't want to take I, I, a shot at. I remember, I remember when it was two dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not that old, Chuck, but uh, it was it was cheap. I mean, I got. I got forms with little Mike on the cover, and I, I laughed because I was like, "Oh wow, the form only costed four fifty uh, back in the two thousands." But now it's you go to a gas station, you look at a form, and it's you know, yeah, multiplication of two dollars. So, but it's a business. I can I can see that, and I I can tell that people still like reading the form and having their form writing, but. Not everyone's going to want to carry a form around them. I mean, if I could walk through the derby gates when I get my ticket scanned, they said, okay, pull out your camera and scan this QR to get your free program. Well, that guy is saving eight, nine bucks at the derby. Who knows how much a program it, it could be a $15 program. Right. That $15 could be into the wagering pool instead right. of the racetrack making who knows you know the the fractions they're making on that program no i i, I agree with you 100 percent. and uh i i remember um and and it took me a little while to get used to it but you know now when you go to the sales you know you have the sale catalogs and sometimes you got two days you know because they run back and forth and you're you're carrying these bulky catalogs now you just get a an iPad or a, a tablet, and the and everything's right there, and it's it's like well, well, a thousand what times have easier. Have you been to that they charge you for the sales book? Yeah, it, it's extinct. They know you're there. They don't care that they're gonna take a little hit on on publishing the books. They know they're gonna make their money. They want you to buy and, a horse. Yeah, they want you to hey uh, hit two two seven. And then you crack open your book, you have it right there. You, you know what's interesting? Want, if Keeneland charged two hundred dollars for those seven, eight books, uh, imagine the amount of people that would show up to the sales and and be informed and knowledgeable on the the, the sales. You know, if you think about honestly, the the service that the sales provide to buyers versus the service that racing uh the racetracks provide to betters and it's it's not even close i mean the sales companies do do a pretty good job of of taking care of their customers and it's something that racing um you know it, it, it's definitely lags it behind yeah 100 percent. it's funny because we've talked i've talked about this before but i said you know for the last 20 years racing has tried to make it uh easier to bet make it more accessible bet on your computer then bet on your phone bet on your ipad whatever and then they have these conferences and everybody goes there and they, they scratch their head and say man we can't figure out why people don't come to the track anymore and it's like well you spent all this time and effort and energy 
making it so people don't have to come to the track. And then you say to yourself, well, why don't they come to the track? Well, you can't have it both ways. And sure, Saratoga and Keeneland and Del Mar, when, you know, fans are allowed to come, those places are always going to be attractive. But, I mean, I, I there's days, you know where I live, and there's days if I liked one horse or two horses at Gulfstream, I don't know that I would fight the traffic to drive all the way down there and 45 minutes down and, and maybe an hour back, just about one or two races. Not when you're, you're so used to being able to watch it on your phone or on your, your computer or on TV. And now TVG is even covered uh, in, in some tiers, cable tiers on HD. And, you know, Fox, FS1, and NBC are, are all on, on HD. And it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just funny how sometimes they make advances, but then the advances kind of screw up the, the the other part of the equation. But that that's racing. And, and that, I worry that racing isn't going to understand you guys. They're not going to understand the younger generation because uh, most of the decision makers don't, they, they think, like things evolve so fast these days and and they don't even know, they can't, they're, they're not even, like there's three steps behind where your generation is in a lot of ways and, and they don't even, you know, some guys are just figuring out Twitter exists. Yeah, uh, generation gap you know i mean i think the older generations didn't really belong on social media it might have hindered everybody you know like you guys didn't grow up with facebook you didn't grow up with instagram you didn't grow up with twitter we did and it it was different because we grew into it and you guys were given it you guys were you're grown and then you you had to learn about how social media works what the apps were i mean i'm sure somebody younger than you taught you how to use an iphone <laughs> still you do. know what i mean <laughs> they still do <laughs> I, I probably used five percent of what my iphone's capable of doing yeah but i mean that's you know besides the point I feel like things that could change the to get a younger crowd in, involved is cutting down the cost for younger people to go advertise the sport a little bit differently, target younger people, and you might social media is a really really strong thing, and racetracks are learning that. You know, they, they're getting their marketing down and stuff like that. But what's that real incentive of going to the track? You got to tell everybody why. Because if you get kids to the track, I guarantee you they'll come back again. That's how great our game is. I think that's one of the themes that I've consistently said for a long time is that we need to keep racetracks open. We can't close every track and just have four tracks left because the on-track experience is, is so much different than the, than the off-track experience. And yes, once you're a, a season better, once you, you know, you, you've been, um, you, you understand the game, you might be able to follow off-track a little better, but it's hard to get people hooked, you know, when they get there and they see the excitement and they're there on a big day and, and, uh, it just there's a different feel, and you know you're going to ask more questions too. There's going to be things you're going to say, "Hey, 
um, you know, Nick, what, what, what is, why do they do that? Why did the jockeys, you know, do this? And, and that some things that you would miss on TV because TV is only showing you what they want to show you. They're not showing you everything. And, and TV is a lot of, you know, you're looking at a, a handicapper, he's talking to a camera sort of thing. You know, right. you don't, you don't see every little thing that goes on. And I don't think you could, but I feel like if it was on more TV and it was more of a normal thing, like, you know, you're flipping through the channels, oh, there's football, you keep going. I feel like if horse racing was on TV more, those, those like, I remember fondly watching Big Brown win the Derby. I was only eight years old. It was on NBC, and I remember that horse galloped in the Derby. You have to set those seeds in these kids like that. And yeah, the Derby's televised. Yeah, the big races are televised. But, you know, get a, get a Friday at Saratoga on NBC. They're doing a good job, I must say. Naira and F- Fox Sports, they're doing a phenomenal job. They picked it up. But you got to spread spread the butter a little bit more. I, I completely agree. Nick, I, I appreciate you um, giving me some time today and giving us your perspective, which is a, a young guy that, that really cares about the game. And, uh, you know, keep asking questions and keep asking, uh, you know, keep the pressure on and, and, and say, hey, you know, like you've been doing, why, why, why aren't we looking at these things? Why aren't we going after these people? Why aren't, you know, why, why doesn't integrity matter? Just, just like you have been. Yeah, because... Without the sport, I'm lost. I need to find a new passion, a new thing that I'm going to chase. You know, I want to be in the Hall of Fame for a trainer. And I have been that way my whole life. But if it's not around, how am I going to do that? So with, with everything, with how everything's going and even things like examples of social media and, and just you know, everyone has their voice, and the more things that are said, the less bad things that will happen, because then everyone knows that they will get exposed. You know, you're not going to go missing 10 days at Saratoga, and no one's going to say anything. No one know, no one knew what happened to you. They're going to know that you got caught for something, and it's not just a slap on the wrist anymore. You know, things got to change, and I'm not going to let these things go. Uh, I'm going to voice my opinion, and I'm going to trailblaze this thing. You know, I'm going to ride it out, and I'm going to make sure that this is around until my son is in the game. Nick, that's, uh, you know, you have a lot of passion, and, um, uh, you know. That's what a lot of people lack. You, you, you're you're 100% right, and, and that's uh, that's what this business really needs. It really needs people like you, young guys that are willing to step up and, and be passionate about it and say, you know, you're, you're asking the right questions, and um, there's, there's ne- it's never wrong to ask the right questions, especially when it comes to the integrity of the business, because that if we don't have that, then what do we have? Yeah. All right, Nick. Well, thank right. you, and I'll definitely have you back on, and... Uh, I appreciate your time today, Nick. See you later. Thank you. Anytime. I'll talk to you. That was Nick Vecareza. He was giving us a view of a a 20-year-old who's pretty sharp, and he's got strong opinions, 
and he's worried. And 20-year-olds shouldn't be worried about the business that they're going into, that the business that they they care about, that they love. It, it's When you're 20, you're supposed to be eager and you're supposed to be looking ahead and you're supposed to be um, bright-eyed and optimistic. And we're making it hard for even the kids to be optimistic, let alone the old curmudgeons like me. So let's hope that not that this show or anything that Nick or I said is, is going to resonate or change anyone's mind. But the fact of the matter is, weeks like this, they're hard to forget and they're hard to recover from. And the more we have of them, the worse off the sport's going to be. Because we're not going to get saved by a triple crown. And it's, it's not... Uh, this isn't uh, your grandfather's game anymore. We got to be smarter. The competition is strong, and there's more of it. And in the end, um, if we can't run races fairly, uh, safely, and have the results be believable, then we're doomed. I hope you have a better weekend than the theme of the last hour and a little bit, but um, there's some good races. Not great, but uh, we'll take what we got and um, look forward to doing a Monday recap with with Barry on our big Monday show. And uh, next Tuesday, I'm working on a program that will have... uh, a really outspoken person from uh, from the other end of the business, the the breeding sales consignment, um, from that end uh, of the business. Who I haven't really had anyone on from from that uh, part of of this the sport, and, and they are part of the sport certainly. And I'm I'm working on um, Tuesday show to be about about some uh, about some misconceptions. So, as soon as I have details, I will uh, post them, and you can always check out our archives at uh, goingincirclespodcast.com, and if you have any questions, comments, you can reach out to us on Twitter at at Cannon Shell, or you can also send emails to um, goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And listen, you don't have to agree with me. This is the the disagreements between people sometimes lead to. Um, I don't know everything. There are a lot of things I don't know, and sometimes disagreements can can lead to uh, breakthroughs. And maybe someone has um, an angle that maybe I haven't thought of, and maybe we can talk about that in a future show. All right, thank you for listening.